0: Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I am your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. My guest this episode's mission in the world is to help men and women embrace their insecurities and their strengths to ultimately become impact-driven leaders in their own industries. He gets excited, and you'll hear it in this episode, about helping leaders in all industries boost their teams to the next level. He is also the host of his podcast, the Impact-Driven Leader Podcast. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Tyler Dickerhoof.
1: Uh, I'm excited to chat with you. I'm excited to have a fun conversation um, and see where this goes.
0: Yeah, well, just like we were talking about, you I was excited to have another Tyler join the podcast. And uh, I guess to give our listeners a little bit of background, just share a little bit about uh, your journey and and kind of what led you into the work that you fill your days with now.
1: Man, um, that's a long winding journey. Um, There's nothing that I thought of 30 years ago, that would end up where I'm at now. And to me, that is the magic of where I'm at. So I grew up on a dairy farm in Northeast Ohio. Uh, Family farm, um, was kind of involved in sports, but I was a a late bloomer, loved sports, loved sports, you know, being involved. But I grew nine inches during high school, gained like 60 pounds. I wish I was, you know, my son, who's an eighth grader, is taller than me now and is like super athletic-like. I never had that. And so as much as I loved it, I was involved in a lot of other things, but that also led to a lot of, I guess blocks and issues and barriers that kind of struggled with your life. It's like, who am I? What do I show up as? So I go from Ohio to school in New York, uh, went to Cornell university, got a degree in animal science, and then I started a career as a dairy nutritionist. Mm-hmm. So I was a nutritionist for dairy cows did that for 13 years. Ultimately, uh, ended up where I live now in Spokane, Washington, and through some kind of ups and downs, um, doing a little bit of commodity consulting, to owning a gym, to now leadership community, leadership coaching, podcast host, uh, and then my wife and I also uh, kind of shepherd lead a network marketing uh, organization. So that's kind of where I'm at now. But yet it's that entire journey from when I was younger. I, I thought I was going to be a veterinarian. That's what I first thought when I was 8, 9, 10 years old, uh, my first semester at college. that's what I was going to do. And then I was competing against Ivy League pre-med. And um, that water was really deep. And so I decided to get out of the pool.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, as someone that grew up in Iowa, my, my grandfather worked with the FTD on on hogs. Okay. Um, pigs. So, um, that was, you know, a similar, you know, a similar path that I saw as a young child that could, could have been um, yeah, yeah. as well. So appreciate that. It, um, you know, as you talk about, you know, leadership, what you do now, I know one of the big things I, I see if you just go to uh, Tyler's website and I love it is impact driven leadership. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted you to kind of unpack that and how, how do you define, you know, what, what is impact driven leadership?
1: Um, you know, to me, it's kind of this, this overarching idea that leadership should never be about you. It's really what can I drive towards as an impact? How can I leave this world better or different being a catalyst? And so the, the idea of being impact driven is how am I using my skills and abilities and talents to impact others so they can go and then do that themselves? And so, I mean, we look at different industries, you know, yourself in the sports industry, myself and in agriculture too, everything else. And leadership as a facet, it's all the same because it's all people. Yeah. And when, you know, we look at the evolution of leadership and how it's so different. And I love, absolutely love studying sports because you see the display of healthy and unhealthy leadership. Yep absolutely played out in front of our eyes and the cool thing about that is is that is just a case study that can be applied in every single office every single organization every single level of humanity and yet often people don't see it that way and it's it's fun to you know again pick and piece and and put that together and so the idea coming back impact driven is to say how can I Empower and support and help um, come alongside other leaders. And, and really, there's an element of my purpose is to help other leaders get healthy too, yeah. because I had to get healthy as a leader. I had to get healthy as a person to really start making an impact.
0: I think, yeah, you tease on something that can come to mind is uh, leadership burnout. You know, when you look at, you we know, see coaches burning out, we see managers burning out. Um, and I do think there's this, you know, capacity and fitness element. Um, I, I see it in the sports and coaching world. Um, you know, it's like, I think we have to take care of ourselves before we can take care of our, our tribe, our herd, our people, yeah. you know, our groups. Um, what was that, you know, you kind of mentioned that, what was that get healthy part or journey for you that helped you to kind of lead a bit better?
1: Um, for me, it was more of, recognizing the barriers that were kind of put around me that made it very hard for me to engage interact build relationships and therefore impact others to actually be a leader that could influence people um you know we talked to dive back and to kind of not leave that thought i, I love this idea you know, I talk about burnout and we see it now as much in our world as ever We see it in leaders. We see it in people in whatever position. And this hit me probably uh, eight to 10 years ago. And and I saw burnout happening in the business we were in. I saw my wife absolutely burn out, go through tremendous adrenal fatigue, have to go through a lot of therapy for it. And, And what I saw there is I saw an individual trying to do what they were not gifted or strong at doing, but yet they felt they had to do it. They felt, Oh, that that is my role. That's my job. And so I have to do it. And I think that really leads to so much burnout and it, it comes back to when we're doing things, we're not gifted to do. I'm a person of faith. Um, I, I believe that we each are given unique strengths and gifts and talents and too often life covers it up and life covers it up in the form of insecurities. And to me, that is the biggest barrier, the absolute number one barrier between who you are as a person and who your ability is as a leader, as someone to influence. And when I talk about leader and you point to this out, the number one person that we all have to lead is ourselves, First and foremost. Yeah. And if we're not able to do that, if we're not able to do that well, we're never going to be able to lead others from a healthy place. We may try to lead them, but we're going to end up burnout. We're going to end up frustrated. We're going to say that, you know, leadership is a lonely place. Now, I believe leadership is lonely when we decide to put ourselves on an island.
0: Sure, sure.
1: And too often as leaders, we end up on an island because our fears, our insecurities, all these barriers that we've structured around us have separated us from others. And, you know, so those were, I mean, that was a big, big journey for me. I mean, that was a, I would say as a, from a teenager through um, my late thirties, really trying to discern and upend that and, and realize, okay, why is it hard? Why is it difficult? And each of us have quirky personalities. We're all, you know, a little bit. And I was a very driven, a very intense, you know, going back to, you know, not being a great athlete. My dad was a college football player. Um, My younger brother, who was a much better athlete than I could should have played college baseball, decided not to. My younger sister was a four-year letterman in three different sports. And I struggled to play high school sports. I, I did. I mean, I hit my athletic peak when i was probably 25 26 27 and um because of that a lot of my worth you know what am i worth what can i do how am i valuable to others was always challenged and questioned because i wasn't picked I, i wasn't someone people sought out to be around a part of that i did on my own and you know so it was really coming through the stages of growth and unwinding that and figuring out why yeah
0: I think that part of that resisting or avoiding burnout is understanding the why and some of our purpose. And I think I'm probably maybe an unpopular opinion. Sometimes it gets a little bit overplayed. And uh, I think working with student athletes, sometimes, you know, they get like, well, if I'm 17 and I choose my why now can I change it in a year or so they get worried they can't adapt. Um, I think it's the identification process is, is, of purpose I think it is what is important and with young kids I think it is to understand yeah you're going to grow change and evolve of how your why and your purpose plays out you I, know, I, I think, think that, that's, that's,
1: that's such think, a, a let me take that and, you know.
0: yeah because so I was going to say I think it just like it goes back to your thing is like well that sometimes we see it well if this is what I want to be I got to do it that way and it goes back to that thinking you were talking about before where it gets very singular track <laughs>
1: you know let's take you know for example that there's a lot of either um parents uh high school college athletes coaches that are listening to this podcast i described myself you know i was a five three maybe 110 pound freshman in high school right football coach didn't want me had no time for me i played basketball great i was you know just kind of along for the ride my senior year i'm eleven, 165 pounds probably one of the top top quarter in my class athleticism. But because everyone said I was worthless my freshman year, yeah. I wasn't there my senior year. I, I played some soccer because we had it. But you gave up on me. Yeah. And I think that is that's the point that's so difficult. We see kids change so much. And here's the thing. Kids are just people. And guess what? people change so much. And so instead of being so pigeonholed and so pigeonholed into I'm 13, 14 years old and this is what I'm going to do with my life, man, why why are we in such a race to grow up? I'm 43 years old. And I couldn't tell you the last time someone said, oh, you're 43 and that's all you've accomplished. Right, yeah. Like that's on me. And so why do we sit here at 14 And look at kids and saying, well, you know, what camps have you gone to? What, you know, qualifications you have? And what are this or what are that? And like the pressure of it's like, for what? Like why graduate high school early? What are you in a race to do? There's nothing you can't do right now if you put your effort to it. Like my daughter, who's a a sophomore in high school, who's 16. If she wanted to, she could grow any business she wanted to right now. She doesn't need to graduate high school to do it. And and so coming back to sports and coming back to life and this idea of why and purpose, it took me until I was probably in my late thirties figured out. I I just had a a podcast guest on my podcast podcast, Davin, uh, and, um, Davin wrote about, you know, purpose and talks about purpose. And what's interesting is listening to Davin and his journey to finding purpose. And there's so much of it that's laden in faith too. And it's, if we're so driven to figure it out, it's going to be a harder journey until we get there. Mm -hmm. But if we're willing to just say, Hey, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to learn every lesson I can. I am going to just get better through the process through experience and through what I've seen with others. You'll be blown away about where you end up. And so, you know, kind of this pursuing why and like, you know, if I had held on to, you know, who I am, I have an animal science degree. I have, you know, this background. How could I do what I'm doing now? I'm forced enough to look. It's because of that that I can do what I do now because I've seen a lot of different experiences. I've been willing to put myself into those spots and continue to just pursue it because, and it's an interest of mine, it's a desire of mine. It's a, hey, I want to continue to grow and my, personal, I guess, mantra, which some others share is my desire is to be better today than I was yesterday, working with every intention and effort to be better tomorrow than I am today. Mm. That's my number one goal. That's it. Mm. And if I focus on that, and so what I look at coming back to the young player, the you know 15, 16, 17 year old that's trying to figure out what do I do next? Where do I do I try to pursue you know, athletics, do I try to do something else? It's just like, hey, relax. Just focus on being better today.
0: Yeah.
1: If you can be satisfied with that, you'll end up at, at levels you never thought you could go to. Yeah. And I think the adults around them who are aiming for their purpose and their why and their justification, they're the ones that spoil it. Most often, yeah. All right, that was a tangent, but
0: no, no, no. I think you're directly <laughs> right. Um, so one of the things, ideas I had journaled recently, and I think it's just you know the idea of personal development. I think that's one of the things I admire about you is you know you just we're gonna come back to another topic that that you made me think of in your in your tangent there. But um, uh, the thing I had written down, and I think it, something I'd shared with a couple athletes was that you're either focusing on your personal development. Or kind of this unintended personal destruction often seems to kind of creep in and take over, and I think it's sometimes maybe it's just where you're focusing your attention with an intention or without them. But uh, when I say that to you, you know you're either kind of personal personally developing or you're personally kind of destructing. What kind of thoughts come up? I think we've all felt both ends at
1: certain yeah, times. Yeah, and, well, it, so i think the the way to get there is is something that i i share with a lot of leaders and you know i've kind of touched on a little bit um and it's identifying i believe there's every person leader has you know and it's centered around leadership but i'm going to say an athlete right in this case who is trying to get better part of them getting better is being a better teammate Okay. If you're a wrestler, if you're a swimmer, if you're a tennis player, you're playing individual sport, guess what? You're still a teammate because other people around you, you have to train with in order to get better playing tennis, just hitting a ball against a wall. You're never going to learn how to react, you know, wrestling by just doing the, the drills and the moves. You're never going to get better unless you have someone wrestle with you the same point swimming, unless someone jumps in the pool and absolutely forces you same with a runner. I mean, you can only get so good unless someone else is pushing you, challenging you, reacting to. It. And so the idea here, I think centers the, the barriers of leadership. I, I mentioned one of them, insecurity. That affected me because like, what value do I have? The next one, which kind of gets to the point you're saying is inactivity, meaning mm, am I, you know, to to put it in an athlete or, or maybe a coach, a, a coach looking at it to say, hey, you know, I just, you know, we got a winning record. I'll just keep doing the same thing. I, I don't, or, hey, you know, we have a winning record. I don't want to challenge the boat. I've heard you share this. You know, you had a coach thankfully tell you, it's like, hey, you're a number one guy right now, but you're going to have to work your butt off to stay there because I'm going to bring someone else to make the team better. And so if you choose to, oh, I'm the guy, I just do it. I, I've been there in life, that inactivity where I'll just kind of coast along. The other one that happens is insensitivity. You know, as a leader, we see this where it's like, yeah, whatever you're dealing with, I don't care. This is the job he's done. Just figure it out and do it as an athlete. If we're looking at that from our teammates perspective saying, oh, you know what? I did the work. Why aren't you doing the work? oh, you know, to understand that the teammate, you know, they don't have a ride there. They can't get a ride there. You know, their parents are now, you know, struggling because somebody got laid off. There's a divorce, whatever else in their challenge there. And so instead of looking at the teammate saying, I'm doing the work, why aren't you? Choose instead to say, hey, I'm doing the work. I need you to do the work with me. So we each get better. How can I help you do that?
0: Yeah.
1: And then the last barrier, which I think to come full circle around really gets at this point of the development and, you know, all of those tie in. And and this was the issue that has been the biggest barrier in my life. Intensity. Intensity is the number one barrier in leadership and personality in the ability for an individual to do more and better. And it's so often, again, you think about sports, like we want intense players. And I had someone describe it this way as I was sharing this with him and said, an intense person is like that kid or that parent who turns on the light first thing in the morning when you're sleeping. What do you do? When you're around an intense person, that's how it feels. You're like, whoa, dude, just take it easy. Yeah, And, you know, this development, this focus on personal development is understanding those barriers and limitations. Hey, I can grind. There's a great book. Maybe you've heard of, you've probably read called The Twin Thieves by Lucas Jaden and Steve Jones. Phenomenal book. And in in there, they, they talk about, you know, the individual who's always at the gym. He's always working out. He's putting in the work. He's doing all the reps. He's getting better himself. And the story goes along. It's like, okay, that's fine but you're not helping him. You're not making the team better because you're in here alone. You're not bringing anyone with you. Yep. So if you're gonna do it on your own, this personal development on your own, it, there's a adage that I believe in, in personal growth and this understanding our barriers and what holds us back from being able to impact others is you have to do the work on your own, but you cannot do it alone
0: just can't. Yeah. Like, um, and one of the things that you brought up earlier about putting yourself into situations and the growth that that kind of created, I think I uh, wanted to get your thoughts on it because I always think it's one uh, element of leadership I love talking about, but uh, uh, vulnerability. And I think you also kind of brought up, you know, that also being, th- what empathy can do for us as leaders. Um, yeah. Can you talk about, maybe especially with, I think, if you want to be effective with people in today's day and age, yeah. how valuable yeah. empathy and vulnerability can be as a leader.
1: 100%. Um, let me first start off. And I believe this, I've been reaffirmed by this. I had a friend the other day that shared a book. It's called uh, Against Empathy. And so I listened to, read the book and was like, huh, okay. And at the end of it, it's like, hmm, we're actually agree more than we disagree. And I actually learned something that ties in, to my definition of empathy. And in this book, he actually goes through a lot of research. It's like, it's actually one of the most defined, meaning there's so many different definitions. Mm -hmm. And that's where I believe empathy is one of the two misunderstood words in our society, humility and empathy. Mm -hmm. And I believe as a society where we're defining actively humility, I think we're getting to a point. I mean, I always fade back to the the C.S. Lewis, you know, humility is not thinking less of yourself; it's thinking of others more. Yeah. And you know, so with that, my definition of empathy is putting your arms around someone and walking with them. And there's an element there when you talk to vulnerability. And I have um, a good friend of mine, podcast guest, a couple of guys shared this with me: Navy SEALs, right? And probably one of the the pinnacle teams when you think about uh, what they do is it's kind of life or death, right? Really bluntly. Yeah. It's life or death. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to him one day, we were talking about hell week. And, and one of them said, you know, we talked about, It's like, you know, the people that don't make it through the ones that think they can do it on their own, the guys that sit there, the women that sit there in the surf, right? If you've ever been to Coronado, if you've ever gone in that water, it's cold. And this water is just beating on you, you know, and you're just wet and you're cold and you're there. I'm going to do it on my own. And they're like, those all leave. You can't. It's the ones that open their arms, link arms with the others. Those are the ones that survive. And as I thought about that, and I thought about this idea, again, empathy, putting your arm around someone and walking with them. Well, in order to be empathetic, you know what you have to be? Vulnerable. Vulnerable is throwing your hands in the air, saying, I don't have all the answers. I don't know it. You know, why do I wear black shirts? You might be able to see the camera. I got sweaty pits. All right. It happens. But I can throw my arms in the air and say like, yeah, that's what I got. Deal with it. Like if you surrender, you throw your arms in the air. But the only way to be empathetic, the only way to actually move forward is to be vulnerable enough. Put your arm to this side. This is who I am. This is what I got. These are my fallibilities. This is my limitation in life. In the acceptance of our insecurities and our fears, not as a uh "uh-oh, someone's going to use it against us." But this is one of the things I've learned. The moment you share your vulnerability, it's out in the open. It's no longer something someone can use against you because you've already go ahead, try it. I already know it's coming, so it's the vulnerability is no longer there. So it's you know, empathetic, when you put your arm around someone, you're making yourself vulnerable. But that's the only way to walk with someone. And here's the other piece to that. Empathy only works in proximity. And and this is what I learned from that book that I read, Against Empathy, is I can sit here and, and I could, you know, we can think about all the different things that happen in our world and say, oh, I feel for that, right? There's a mass tragedy there's an earthquake somewhere in the world there's flooding there's whatever those things happen in our life we can feel for that but if we empathize about that we're not solving the problem as a coach we can sit there and we can say oh yeah you know what brad's got a problem but until you actually go up to brad and as a coach you're willing to put your arm around them and walk with them there is no empathy there is no, oh, this guy cares. It's just kind of like solve your problem yeah. and getting back to that insensitivity. So it's, it's gotta be proximal. It has to be where you put your arm around them and say, hey, you have a place here. You're important to what we're doing. You're important to me. How can I walk with you to make sure that we can accomplish what we collectively as a group want to accomplish, but more importantly, are allowing you to grow and develop and get where you wanna go and if it's not here that's okay. If we continue to walk forward, you're going to go somewhere that benefits us all. Because if we grow together, we're going to end up somewhere. Sometimes together, sometimes not, but we're going to get there.
0: Yeah. What uh what, was, what did you say the
1: name was the of the book? Yeah, against against empathy. Against empathy. Against okay. empathy. And it, it was I mean, I reference it because i got some value out of it i think the guy was trying to actually just sell a book but there was this, I mean, there was a lot of information get to the point to where it's like people don't understand empathy you you can't have empathy from afar and empathy and sympathy and compassion are this mismatch word and that's where you know i encouraged people it's like what is empathy and that's where i came up with my own definition yeah it's putting yeah. your arm around someone and walking with them. i think you yeah. can't put yourself in their shoes that's gonna hurt for yeah. both of you. yeah it is
0: uh you raise a good point just how many you know how it's defined and then how it you know the synonyms that it sometimes gets you know categorized with um and and i feel the proximity thing i I think you know i think uh it's a different relationship to an issue when there's proximity yeah i I think for for me and and different or if you have people but um one of the things uh, i wanted to circle back and i kind of was uh poking A little bit with the personal development and the personal destruction because i noticed on your instagram your word of the year which is uh, i wanted you to talk about a little bit is uh b and sometimes you don't need to be developing and you're not being you sometimes you just need to be um Mm -hmm. and and that be is a good healthy place but uh why is that your word of the year and uh how's it impacted
1: your year so far um the word of the year why um you know, back to the personal destruction and kind of trying to loop in those barriers. When we allow those barriers to build walls around us, we destruct and we don't even realize it. And so it's the ability to t- take the bricks out of that wall and set them down. It, it makes a permeable wall, wall right there. You still have the frame structure, but you have the holes. Just imagine like a Jenga, right? You pull that out. Ultimately, you want that whole thing to fall down. But yet there is structure of that because those are experiences we've been through. So if you allow those experiences to destruct us, then they tear us down. And part of being is being okay to just sit in the moment, being okay to, to say, hey, the most important thing for me to do today is take my son to soccer practice, to be there at soccer practice, to be involved with the other kids, to do that. That's the most important thing I have to do today. Why? Because it gives me 30 minutes of driving to 30 minutes of driving home with my son conversations that come about. It's, you know, last week, the the most important thing one day, or last weekend, the most important thing for me to do and keeping in mind was to go out and throw with my youngest son who's starting to play baseball, hasn't played baseball since he was younger, is now in middle school, he's playing baseball. That's my most important job. That is nothing else that I could do today, yesterday, next week is going to matter as much of, hey, did I take time to go out with my son who's 13 and throw the ball with him. And, you know, so that is kind of this evolution of keeping that in mind of it's not what you're becoming. It's what you're being that leads to your becoming. And so I would say that I've done probably a, a poor job of really focusing on it or whatever but every once in a while i'll come back to it every you know once while i I still on my phone last year i made a um a, a, a wallpaper for my word of the year it's endure was last year it's still there because it's part of it i was talking about this a lot i need to make something different to focus on b but it's i'm grateful that you brought it up and asked because that forces me to say hey okay Am I doing the things part of another B is the routine of what I get up and do every morning. I get up, have my kind of morning routine from a health nutrition point of view. And then I go read, I I spend my morning routine. By the time I get up, I read and I work out sometimes two, two and a half hours. That's before my day starts really. But if it wasn't for that stuff and the day becomes frantic, the day becomes like this race instead of thinking, oh, who am I showing up as? What's more important that I could refocus and say, all right, did I learn today? Did I become better today? Am I focusing on it? Am I being?
0: I think you just said it. I think I uh, find my morning times very valuable to do some of the same behaviors. Uh, And, you know, I've had the conversation with other friends that some of them hadn't had children and then they did have children and they're like, Oh, I get why you do you that morning stuff. <laughs> yeah. Because I, yeah. I think as, you know, as even just the leader, of your, your, your relationship, your household with your partner, your kids uh, you know, making self time for yourself um, is important because I think I always tell people, it's like, I need that time to kind of dial in me before once the kids and wife and work comes, people need stuff and requests and, you know, thing mm-hmm. you know, things that might in the moment feel like adversity, even yeah. though they're just daily yeah. routinely things, but things start to come at you. And yeah. it's like, I always want to be in, in sports. I was always used to being warmed up before things started coming at me. Yeah. And, totally. and I think that's kind of the element I've always taken is, is, you know, it's my long warm up, but then I'm ready to play the game all day. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. I think there's a, there's a point that if we do that, there's two things that happen you actually, when you put that focus on, you're going to grow and thinking of, oh, when I'll get to it, I'll do it. It doesn't happen. You have to be intentional there, but the idea of getting your mind right before the day comes at you, because the day is going to come at you. And some days it's difficult to get that time. The day's going to come at you. But if you prepare yourself, if you're working on that mental health, that mental focus, the, Hey, this is what's important to me. And I'm putting things into my body. It's sometimes there's a struggle to make sure. All right. I don't hop on social media. Oh, I don't hop on scrolling through, you know, Google news or news or whatever. See the highlights of the day. That's real. But yet I also know that I do have some set aside things, some, some, you know, I guess, organized, structured pieces of my day that I'm going to get to. And the more I can direct myself there, man, it's so much more gratifying. And it brings on the rest of the day at a little easier pace. I'm a little bit more tuned in to say, okay, I can be the value to myself and others because I put in that time.
0: Yeah. Well, I think the last question, as we kind of wrap up, I think that over my time, I think it's, uh, we, you talked about intensity, and I think, you know, us, us as a leader, we can only be intense for so long, right? Ah. We are going to need to recover, rest. But I think the other thing that I've kind of focused on, too, is um, intensity does help drive and increase our capacity, um, which I think, you know, kind of to me is a longer framework of, of a time. But, uh, you know, when you think of that, what other things can help a leader? create? I think you kind of touched on it earlier, you know, having the ability to grow and push and do more and help others do more. Um, how how can leaders help themselves create a bit more
1: capacity? I think there's the, you know, the, the false side of intensity is it's celebrated because it's like, that's what gets things done. And sure. the African proverb that I re- relate to is one goes fast. Many go far. You want to go far. You have to figure out how to take people with you. Intensity was a barrier for me because I just pushed people away. It's like I was up against a um, a traumatic experience that brought out the even in more intensity than I was in intensity. And that's how I pushed through. And I realized difficult situations in life. I just grit my teeth and I was going to push through and no one was going to stop me. But the end of it, I look back and there was carnage. All I did was bulldoze. All I did is push people away. All I did was kind of that, you know, again, that image of the light shining on too much. So I had to learn to be vulnerable, open my arms and invite people to go with me. And here's what I do know that you can you can have this um, what we call intensity, but this passion, this excitement. And it's been labeled the one most intense person in the world was Jesus. Okay, that's interesting because he was also very inviting. He had a hard line. He was driven, but he was extremely inviting. He said, come with me, come with me, be with me. And I think that's the difference of understanding is like the only way that you and I can do more is if we invite more people to go with us. For sure. Even still, if we choose to say, hey, we're going to push to do more and no one else is with us, what does it matter? I I posed this question to a couple leaders and I think it's a a great way to kind of finish up and, and to ask you as well in regard to intensity and and say, for example, you had a a, a goal that you wanted to achieve, throw it back to football, right? Say you guys, you know, football team want to win national championship, whatever that may You want to win the league and you get to the point and you think about this as a coach, as a leader, as a captain or whatever, you can reach that goal, but you lose your team. Or you can say, we may fall short of the goal, but I'm not going to lose the team. Mm -hmm. Which is more important? Which do you choose?
0: I want the team.
1: And you know what usually happens when you do that and you continue to move forward? You end up meeting or surpassing.
0: We'll get one of those later. We'll get we'll get
1: it's like it will come in time, it'll be more fruitful when it does. And it's kind of with leaders that have this agenda. Well, we have this timeline we have to reach. Well, when you lose everyone to get there, you're done. But if you're willing to go with everyone, allow them to, you know, figure it out and you're you're getting organized, you're getting there, all of a sudden you start moving a lot faster starts clicking even more, and that deadline that you were trying to reach either was false, it didn't really matter, or you surpass it. But And that comes back to this idea of intensity, is if we're so driven that we lose everyone around us, what does it matter?